Sandy. As Sandy mentioned, we are married, and my name is Brian, and Sandy was out of town this week down in Florida. Oh, sorry. She was out of town somewhere. Maybe it was Alaska. Uh, and so I got to take care of the kids, make sure all the things were happening. And there was one morning this week that I was driving my daughter to school when I suddenly realized I had missed the turn. And I wasn't headed in the right direction. Well, I wasn't totally out of whack. Uh, see, how this happened is that you know, basically every day I bring my kids to school, right? But usually I bring my boys to the middle school first, and then I drop my daughter off at high school. So I was basically on the way to the middle school. Oh, I had already dropped off my son at the middle school because he wanted to get there early. So I was dropping my daughter off. And, you know, I was just on autopilot. Have you ever been there, you know, where you're just sort of on autopilot? I don't think I was a distracted driver. I don't think. I could have been. Uh, but I was just doing what I do every day. And there are some things in our lives that we just do every, every day that are just sort of autopilot sorts of things. You probably don't even think about them. Like when you're brushing your teeth, you just don't even think about it. You probably don't even realize that you start on the same side every day and probably have the same pattern every day when you're brushing your teeth. Am I right? And then, okay, think about this. You probably put your clothes on in the same order every day. And while you're getting your clothes on, you're probably thinking about a hundred other things, like the things that you have to do that day. It's just autopilot. It's so easy to do. The reality is that we do all sorts of things in our lives on autopilot. In fact, one researcher estimated that 98% of what we do what our brains do is sort of autopilot function. All the breathing and heart rhythms and all that kind of stuff just automatically happens. Well, in a similar way, most people don't consciously embrace racism. But unconsciously, we can sometimes do things that cause harm to other people, specifically in racial tension. And much research has de demonstrated that unconscious bias or unconscious racism continues to perpetuate treating people differently. So, for example, uh, some emails sent to faculty members at universities asking to talk about research opportunities were more likely to get a reply if the name in the email was something that sounded like a white American, okay? And then uh, another study was done. White state legislatures were found to be less likely to respond to constituents with African-American names, and this was both parties. So these are examples of what we would call unconscious racial bias. They aren't intentional acts of racism, Nobody's trying to do anything mean to anybody. It's just happening. They lead to inequities in our society. As we talked about some of those symptoms last week. Um, this is part of our series called The Beloved Community. In week one, we talked about how God is calling us to become a beloved community. That we would love one another 
where there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither, neither slave nor free, neither is there male or female, for we are all one in Christ. Week two, we talked about how we are called to be ambassadors of reconciliation, that we would bring things together. We would bring healing and restoration of all things and all people. And then last week, Sandy talked about how we can awaken to the reality uh, or the myth of inequality. So this week, uh, we get to talk about how we are influenced by racial bias, either consciously or unconsciously, and we'll see what Scripture has to say about it. So let's jump into Colossians chapter 3, if you want to open up your Bible. Colossians chapter 3, we'll also have it up on the screen for you, so we can read that together. We're going to start in verse 5. Paul is writing this uh, to the church in Colossae. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. So this is written to a church uh, facing pressures to turn away from Jesus, to not live the Jesus way. It's written primarily to believers, not unbelievers. And there's a challenge in this book to have this greater devotion to Jesus. And we, in this book, or in this letter, Paul has already talked about the supremacy of Christ, the greatness of Christ. And he's addressed some of the specific pressures that they've been facing. And now he's calling them, exhorting them to live a life that would be worthy of that. And he's speaking into a, into a different world, different worldviews around how we understand the human nature and how people learn and change. So, for example, in the Greco-Roman world that he's talking to, most people assumed and thought that learners were sort of a blank slate. And you could sort of embed in them whatever you wanted as a teacher. But what Paul seems to be indicating in here and asserting is that we're not blank slates. We have this earthly nature in us. We have this evil desire that lives within us. These different things like sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which are idolatrous. So in other words, our very nature, we are sinners. We are broken. We are not perfect. And then he says, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now, some of you might cringe when you hear that. You're thinking, wrath of God, I, that doesn't sound very nice. Uh, it isn't. Uh, one way that I like to think about this uh, is the wrath of God is or could be compared to the judgment of God. And if we think about justice, we all long for justice. We long for things to be made right. So in the same way that we don't like when people hurt us or when people hurt the friends that we have and we want to see justice happen, God is bringing wrath on the sin of the world. So God still loves us, but he's going to bring justice. Paul continues in verse 7. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, 
rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So Paul asserts again, that you used to live in these ways. You used to do these sorts of things, anger, rage, malice, and those sorts of things. And the reality is that sometimes we still do live in those things. Those still, those still things well up in my heart. I get angry about things. I get mad. Sometimes I even do things intentionally to hurt people because I'm so hurt. And we could apply these things to any number of issues, but for this series, we're looking at racism and how that functions in our world. And the reality is that we have been racially discipled in our world. We've been taught things in our world. We've already been formed by our culture, by our parents, by the things that we consume in media. So we have always, we've already been discipled in the ways that we think about these things. It's part of who we are. It's part of our culture. It's woven in, it's embedded into who we are. Every person here and that's why when it comes to, ra to race, we need to put off the old practices that we were living in, the things that we have done, and the, these things, consciously or unconsciously, that are in our hearts and minds, and we need to put on the new practices of Christ. We need to be re-discipled. Paul puts it this way in verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. So the first thing I want to acknowledge in this so awesome is that we have been chosen by God. We are God's chosen people. God loves us. We are holy, which means that we are special. We're set apart for a specific purpose to demonstrate God's love on this world. This is so good. It's good news. We're dearly loved. And he calls for re-discipleship using two images in this passage. If we go back to verse 10, he has this idea of renewing the mind. It echoes Romans chapter 12, verse 1, which also talks about renewing our mind. We need our minds to be transformed by God so we have different thinking. So we're no longer thinking the ways of this world, dealing with the ways that people view each other and the ways that they put others down. And this is a challenge for all of us because, again, we said we've already been discipled in these things. We've already been programmed in the ways that we think about these things. The second uh, image that Paul gives us in is in verse 12. He invites us to clothe ourselves, to put on new clothes. We're going to take off the old, dirty clothes, the things like anger, rage, and malice, slander, and filthy language. And we're going to put on the new clothes of compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We can't just add new ways of thinking or 
put on new clothes over the old ones, the old clothes are going to cause the new ones to get stinky. We've got to get rid of the old, and then we can put on the new. People who are trying to get new habits know these, know these things. You've got to get rid of the old things that are getting in trouble, getting you in trouble to put on the new things. In fact, I think it's one of the reasons why we find so many former drug and alcohol addicts who are now huge into the fitness and running community because they're getting rid of the old, dirty, bad, destructive habits and they're putting on the new healthy things. They're getting out and running. They're getting themselves in shape. These are good things and this is what it looks like for us to be rediscipled in Christ. We get rid of the old anger, rage, malice and we put on the new compassion and kindness. It's a wonderful thing. So, Michelle Sanchez is the author of the book that we're kind of using as the base uh, and idea for this. She paraphrases this passage like this. Left to your own devices, dear disciples, your default will be to mistreat the ethnic other whether you realize it or not. Seek to identify the world's mindset in yourself so that you can take off those rags and clothe yourself instead with the mindset of Christ. So let's have a conversation. What does it look like for us to do that? How, first of all, how does our world function? What are some of the things that our world sort of embeds in us and teaches us so we can shed those, get rid of those destructive things? And then what might it look like for us to put on those new clothes so that we can become and create the beloved community that we're called to be a part of? So here in the U.S., Racial bias is one of, the, one of the ways that we consciously or unconsciously treat other people. And Paul talks about this uh, in the passage. Sanchez actually identifies seven different categories in her book. If you want to read it, uh, you can read more of them. I'm just going to talk about two of them. The first one I already mentioned a little bit is the pro-white preference. And uh, studies have shown that on job applications, where everything else is literally the same, except the name, the person with the white-sounding name will get a call for the interview. I don't know why. There's a pro-white pro preference. Everything else is the same. The second category is this, blame. Studies show that when deciding where to place blame, if it's me or if it's my own people, whatever I consider my own people to be, I'm going to think about the circumstances of the situation and understand, oh, yeah, there's a circumstance here that's changing something for me or the people that I know that's causing this to happen. But if that person is an other, whatever other might be, then we tend to blame the character. There's something wrong with their character, and they need to fix that. Again, I think in both of these cases, we would say neither of these are right. They shouldn't happen but they are happening. That's what studies are showing. So these are things that happen whether we're consciously doing them or unconsciously in our society. So what can we do? We finally get here. I know many of you, as we've been going through the series, you're like, what can we do? Just tell me what to do. We're finally here. We're talking about what you can do. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week as well. Uh, so hopefully you can come back. We need to identify the ways that we consciously or unconsciously accidentally do these things. 
either as individuals or as a society, we need to seek them out and put them to death. Get rid of them. And then we can put on the traits that Paul talks about. We can put on the traits of kindness and humility and compassion. And of all the traits that Paul talks about, I think the one for me that grabs me the most in this particular conversation, because we could talk about this in terms of other things, but in terms of the, the racial conversation in our country, I think humility is the one that I think we need to put on, that I need to put on. Because am I really being humble if I'm not allowing for my sin to be exposed? So if I don't think that I'm subject to any of these issues, if we look through these books and I say, ah, that's not me, am I really being humble in those things, those unconscious or conscious biases? Am I allowing my sin to be exposed for what it is? I would say the older that I get and the more that I connect with people, the more I've realized just how many different ways that I unconsciously hurt people. And I'm grateful that people tell me about those times uh, so I can learn and grow from those things. Uh, but I'm oblivious to how often I do things to hurt people. And I think we need to have that kind of humility to say, I'm not consciously trying to hurt somebody, but I might be. And would I be open to hearing that I've done something wrong or that whatever I did hurt them? So Michelle gives us a great acronym in her book, um, and I'm going to go uh, through that. Color courageous disciples are called to frequently pause. Okay? First part of that is to pay attention. So seek to be alert and of sober mind before acting. This requires us to slow down, to think about what we're doing and be deliberate in our interactions with others. Once we pay attention, we slow down, then we can acknowledge our own assumptions. Now, this can be difficult because, again, I've said we've been trained in these things, so we can't even realize that I mean, they're unconscious things that are happening. Fortunately, there's some great tools out there. One of them um, that I have uh, been introduced to is called the IDI test, the Intercultural Development Inventory, and it helps you to test really and reveal your cultural competency can be a way for you to acknowledge some of the assumptions that you have. The third thing that we can do is to understand our own perspective. Another tool that I've been introduced to and, and used is called the cultural intelligence uh, test. And in that, I learned a lot about myself and I learned a lot about the culture that I was raised in. For example, in my culture, time is very important. You show up on time and you end on time. But other cultures are event-oriented. And so if I'm not careful, if I don't understand my own assumptions, if I don't understand my own perspective, then I might be prone to saying, well, why is that idiot late? That's just not their, that's not their time function. That's their event orient orientation. And then we can seek different perspectives. I think this is where it helps for us to read outside of our normal reading, to read other perspectives outside your normal viewpoint and to get some different ideas. And this is where 
talking to others. A lot of this for me has been in my relationship with other people who are different than I am. And their experience of the world has been different than mine. And hearing their stories helps me to go, oh, wow, you experienced that? I've never experienced that. And then finally, we can examine our options, we can make a decision, or we can take action. So as we learn these things, then we put them into practice. We work on them. I'm gonna tell you that you can try to be the best person that you can, and you're gonna make some mistakes. And that's okay, we need to be okay with making mistakes, not in the sense that we're giving you a free pass to make a mistake, but in the sense that we're all gonna make mistakes. And if we can have the humility to listen to others, we can listen, hear, and we can change our actions so that the next time we don't make the same mistake. So here at Crossview, we long to see people connected to Jesus. And we don't want anything to get in the way of somebody connecting to Jesus. And so long before... This church plant was started. Sandy mentioned people started praying for this and envisioning that there would be a church plant on the other side of town. Why? Because Sandy already said, church plants help people to connect with Jesus. But also, Crossview was recognizing that there's a changing demographic happening here in Mankato. And so what would it look like for us to reach a different population, a different group of people that weren't being reached by the existing Crossview. And having experienced some of that in my own life, uh, working with uh, campus ministry, got to experience a lot of different cultures. Oftentimes, especially here in the Midwest, the campus is sort of a little bit ahead of the broader culture, so you see the transition happening. And I got to see communities coming together from different ethnic backgrounds and how they interacted with one another. And I got to see a beautiful multi-ethnic coming together. And so for Sandy and me, when we moved down here, that was part of our vision. Any church plant that we would have done, we were thinking about church planting other places, we had a vision that we would be a part of building a multi-ethnic mosaic that was beautiful, a beloved community, if you would. And so wonderfully, those things came together. The team at Crossview was dreaming about that, we were dreaming about that, and we got to come together to plant this church, Crossview Rosa Parks. And it exists today because of the dreams of people, because of the prayers of people, because of the gifts of people, because of you. And my hope is that as we think about this beloved community, that we could become more and more of a beloved community because we are taking off our unconscious bias and we are becoming conscious about how we live and we love others. So let's pray. Oh, and let's imagine what could happen for a moment if we were to become a beloved community. What kind of a community, what kind of a statement would that make to our community here in Mankato that is continuing to become more and more diverse and yet struggling with those things in our community? What would it look like for us to, to show the way on how to live and love one another? Now let's pray. God, thanks uh, for your word. Thanks for uh, the ways that you have, long before we came to this earth, have known about these uh, sorts of things that would happen. You created us in your image. You love us. You care about us. You didn't accidentally create ethnicity. Um, you created us to reflect you in the fullness of who you are. And as we think about the beautiful mosaic of different ethnic people and different 
people groups in our community and in the world, it shows us more and more of who you are. And we long to be a community that would love one another and care for one another, that we wouldn't see some of the inequities in our society happening because of the people in this church and the ways that we are learning and growing as a community to love others. So we pray, Lord, that you would give us humility, that you would help us to love others. Amen.